Focus on Creative podcast, where we hear from creative experts, influencers, dreamers, and doers, what they've learned and what we can learn from their journey as we explore, respond, and create. Hey there, I'm Rich Langton. I'd like to welcome you back to the podcast. It's such a good day. I'm so excited to bring you today's episode. So a few weeks ago, we had our episode with Pastor Bill Johnson, where Cass and I interviewed him at Hillsong Conference. And that was a huge privilege. And we've had great feedback from that episode. But also at Hillsong Conference, we interviewed Louis and Shelley Giglio. They're heroes of ours, and I'm sure many of you will know them. I believe that you're really going to gain a lot of insight from them, the highs and lows of ministry and of life, and of longevity, of living this life with um, you know, creativity and Christ. So Cass is going to introduce them. Let's jump straight in. We are about to ask all the hard-hitting questions that you want answered with Louis and Shelley. I keep telling Louis he should be scared because we are ready. Are you ready? Good. So, without further ado, I'm going to get serious for a second. I actually believe Louis and Shelley Giglio are some of the finest humans that we have had the privilege of meeting. And not because of what they do on a platform, even though that is spectacular, but because of the way they treat ones. I watched them walk into a lift and place value on my daughter when she was like 12 and actually see her in a crowd and talk to her and speak the promises of God over her. And they didn't do it because she was my daughter. They did it because they actually believe that God has a plan and purpose for every individual. And I think because of that, God has trusted them to build one of the finest music labels, an incredible church, a great conference and a movement. And so would you stand to your feet and welcome to the platform, Louis and Shelley Giglio, and give them the honour that they deserve. All right, things that you don't know that you should know. Apparently, Shelley makes the best strawberry pie that you've ever tasted. It's true. You can take a seat. Louis is actually called Louis Floyd Giglio. <laughs> is this I true? I like that we're into middle names. That's if, amazing. Yeah. If we're <laughs> going straight, for yeah. Wimbledon, yeah. Louis will go for Federer. Shelley will go for Nadal. Hey, Nadal kissed me one time. Let's <laughs> just start off with that. I mean, can we just talk about that for a second? Can we? <laughs> and then he was out for a season because I crushed him it, to the ground an and injured his knee. It was a it was totally an you injury. Remember that year nothing. Nadal was no, out? They're not that related. No. No, he had just won the French Open. We got to go. This was many years ago. What year was this? 2008, mm-hmm. maybe. It was the year we started counseling. It is. <laughs> we the finished Nadal the match. Year. We were actually in the uh, Players locker lounge. room. Yes. Not like, you know, like. They weren't changing or anything. Players lounge, not the locker Players room. Players lounge. It's very important. You're digging yourself into Maybe a words. hole, Shelley. <laughs> anyway, he came out. Louis went to the restroom. Good timing. He kissed me on the cheek, and there was a moment. I don't know. He was a winner. I felt like a winner. It all worked out. Is it true you used to play tennis, Louis? <laughs> now he's so mad. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I spent uh, most of my um, 11th grade, 12th grade year of high school playing tennis, and uh, the year before, probably played about six, seven hours of tennis a day. Went to university thinking that was going to be my path. That was uh, in my head because I wasn't good enough, but that's not stopped any of us for, from dreaming things, right? So I was going to go down that path, uh, but yeah, I loved tennis, played, that's all I did really for a season of life. But um, then, you know, long story short, I'm not playing tennis now, so... Yeah, but we do get to go. We have some friends who are very connected to tennis, and so we've had a really the honor of going to Wimbledon, the Australian Open, French Open, uh, U.S. Open. Um, just, uh, it's a fantastic... Anybody know that Wimbledon is actually on right now? Is anybody, like, into tennis? No? I didn't think so. Okay, great. Who, who, how many, who are the Fed people in this breakout? Any Djokovic people? One? Any, any Nadal people? Yes! What are the rest of you? Don't care right. about tennis. All right, you can't take over already. Here's the deal. We have an hour to change the world. Five rapid-fire questions, just to get us off to a good start so you don't take over. <laughs> Ready? One thing other than your phone that's in your pocket right now. What's in your pocket right now? Absolutely nothing. 
Louis? My credential. That is a miracle. <laughs> Nothing else? Uh, no, my phone and my credential. Oh, nice, okay. Is that something you might normally lose? Um, oh, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I That's just, the miracle. The fact that it's in my pocket just shocked Shelly. Yes. In fact, I'm going to put it back in there before I do lose it, just in case. <laughs> so what is one meeting that you're looking forward to this month? I'm trying to think what's coming. I am looking forward to... You're talking about a meeting like a, like a this kind of meeting or like? like a lunch with someone or yes. anything. Anything. What you're most looking forward to. It could be this moment. To. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'll go with this moment. <laughs> For a thousand. I'm, I'm really looking forward, and I don't mean this in any... I mean, I love the moment we're in. I'm really looking forward to being at Hillsong London in a few weeks' time. It's been a long time since I've been there as it has been a long time since we've been here. So really, that's something that I'm really, really excited about. Yeah. One thing that you have at your fridge at all times? Smart water. Gatorade. <laughs> I figure smart water makes you smarter, so I keep a lot of it on hand. They might not have that in Australia. How do you, how do you They're think already it's so smart in Australia. Do you have smart water? No. One thing you wish your smartphone could do that it can't? Drink smart water? No. Sorry. <laughs> Smart phone, smart water. Maybe it already did. Um, one thing I wish your phone could do, um, put a filter on every photo so that I look 22. I mean, why not? Yeah. No, I don't have a good answer for that. The book that most influenced your life, apart from the Bible. The Knowledge of the Holy uh, by A.W. Tozer. Oh. I was going to say um, a man that influenced Louis greatly was a protege of A.W. Tozer, a guy named Dan DeHaan, and he wrote a book called The God You Can Know, and a mysterious, beautiful, astounding God became somebody who was interested in me in that moment, and I read it when I was about 18 years old, and it totally changed my whole life. How did you become a Christian? I mean, I was a believer. I grew up in church, so I'm a church girl at heart, and totally knew that God had a purpose for my life at a really young age. I grew up in a family who my dad was very successful, and, but he was also very present in my life, and I believed as a child when he told me that I could do anything, that I could actually do anything. And I don't know whether I was dumb or smart, but I received it. And um, so it was a gift to my life. My parents were strong believers and some of the most generous people I've ever been around in my life, so I grew up with generosity as a normal thing, which was awesome. And then I met Louie, and I really hadn't thought through the fact that I would be a pastor's wife. That wasn't in my common thinking, but... Is it now? Um, no. <laughs> so I'm 33 years into being married and still not sure about it, honestly. But... It's been a sure gift. Sure about being married or <laughs> sure about, is this still going back to the Nadal thing? Is yeah. this all like? I have some things I wanted to talk to you about. Rich, what, what would you do if you were me and you were in a situation where you discovered that Cass he had a crush on Rafael Nadal? not therapy, I'm fine. And was unsure about your marriage oh, and man. your relationship and whether she really wanted to be in it with you. What, what would you, how can you help me? Look, we're only 20 something years in. So we've got 10 years to get there, but um, I feel like we, we may be you guys. <laughs> oh, Anyways, yeah. got I'm other so, questions. I'm so sorry. Is there a counselor? Our biggest in... fight before we ever got married was over the fact that I was never going to be a pastor's wife. So I can relate. <laughs> and yeah. now I'm the pastor. And so is he. So well, we you know, it. even the funnier part of that is I was convinced I was never going to be a pastor. So then it wasn't a problem because Shelley was like, you know, I just don't see myself like sitting over there quietly, maybe playing an offertory on the piano occasionally and showing up at the ladies meeting and, you know, looking the part. And I'm like, babe, don't worry. You're not going to have to do any of that because I'm not going to be a local church pastor. And so we're good. And now here we are sitting on this sofa together as a pastor and a pastor's wife. So I wouldn't rule anything out. Okay, what happened? How well, did you end up being a pastor? You know, for, for me, Cass, it was uh, the most stunning and beautiful and amazing story. 
and tragic at the same time, but I don't believe God makes mistakes, so I'm not, I don't look in the rearview mirror. I'm just believing God ordains life and, and ordains a path for us. But a short story, when I was speaking at a conference, we were uh, dating or maybe married and living in Texas. I went to speak at a youth event. Maybe 1,500 high school kids at this outdoor pavilion kind of youth rally thing. Afterwards, there was a lunch for the speakers behind stage. I just remember sitting at a picnic table with four or five other guys. I didn't know several of them. Guy looks across the table at me. I'm maybe 30 years old. And he says, so Louie, what do you see yourself doing in 10 years? Don't you hate that question? And I don't, I've never liked that question. And, I, and to this day, I couldn't answer it right now if you asked me. So how would I know? So um, I, I'm kind of thinking, like, what would my answer be? And I'm stalling. And so I ask him a question, which is a very good Jesus leadership lesson. Now, he always knew the answer. But if you don't know the answer, always ask another question, like I've already done here a time or two. Um, and so I said, so what do you see yourself doing? This other guy down the table pipes in, Cass, and he says, well, I'll tell you one thing he's not going to be doing in 10 years. And now I'm kind of interested. So I'm eating my lunch and looking, and I'm like, okay. He goes, he's not going to be a local church pastor, I guarantee you. He goes, nobody could hear, want to hear that guy preach every Sunday. I mean, he, he's just like, and he didn't, he was, that was a compliment. He wasn't saying you're terrible. You know, he was just saying, he kind of comes in and, drops these messages and blows things up and leaves. And when I was younger, I didn't know how to steward my prophetic gift as well. You learn how to do that more over time. So I would go into places and be like, thus saith the Lord, I don't care if you like me or invite me back. I just want to be faithful to God's word and what I think I'm here to say, I'm out. And, and people liked that, but he just couldn't see that happening week after week. And so he tells the guy, won't be a local church pastor. I, I know we got to hurry. The guy says to him, well, why not? He says to him, well, because the way he teaches and has a prophetic edge to his voice and da-da-da-da-da, blah-blah-blah. And they're now talking about my future, these two guys. I don't even know this guy, barely know this guy. And they're talking about our future, my future. And I'm just sitting there thinking to myself the whole time, I don't want to be a local church pastor. So that's not bothering me at all. And I'm just eating my lunch. I never even enter into the conversation, but I leave that day and I accept what that guy said. And it didn't bother me because it didn't, it wasn't against me. So I was like, okay, that, I was 30. 15 years later, a knock came on my heart, and it was the voice of the Spirit of God saying, it's time for you to be a local church pastor. And I, I'm just being vulnerable, and I hope it doesn't, you know, you don't think I'm a bigger idiot than maybe you already do, but it took five years from that first knock to us planting Passion City Church, because God had to peel the layers off of my being convinced that I wasn't going to do that. And the way he finally got through to me, he was like, Louie, I never said that to you. That guy said that to you. I didn't say that. And then he kind of helped me understand that we had been pastoring people. We loved the church. We wanted to be a part of building a church. I also had believed a second lie really fast about leadership that some guys that do what we do do. I believed that to make the biggest impact in the world, I needed to go to the most places and speak to the most people. And that is not the way to make the biggest impact on the world. The biggest way to make the biggest impact in the world is to stay at one place for the longest amount of time and to let God reproduce whatever he is doing in that place. And that's how you make the biggest impact on the world. And so finally, the layers get peeled off. God's voice, the voice of the spirit of God finally breaks in. And then we're like, we're going to plant a church. And then once I get clear on something, I get like ready to go. So I'm like, babe, we're going to plant a church. And she's like, no, we're not right now because I'm running a record label and I don't have anything else to do. And you're an A to B guy and I'm an A to Z girl. So you planting a church means me planting a church and then running the church that you plant. So no, we're not doing that right now. And I said, babe, we got to do it right now. One Sunday we left church, the church we were a part of. We went to a walk at around an elementary school or a middle school. And as we're walking, I say to her, I, I just felt the Lord speaking to me today. It's time. Now is time. Right now, right now, right now is time. And she said, it is not time. 
I said, it is time. It's not time. And then I started jogging. She was walking. So we would, I would catch up to her about every you know, few minutes. And then I would say, it's time. She'd say, it's not time. Take another lap. I take another lap. And finally I stopped. We talked. And I mean, she just like, and not in a bad way, just in a very respectful way, because she's a very extraordinarily wise person. She just like shuts it all down. And so I jog off and I say to the Lord, the best thing I think I've ever said to him, I said, you're the one who said I'm supposed to plant the church. So if you want us to plant a church, you need to talk to Shelly. I mean, come on, guys. How many times have you said that to anybody about your life, right? Do you want me to do that? You need to talk to her. And, uh, and I did. I said to the Lord, this was somewhere around maybe late May, uh, June. I said, I will never bring it up again. I'm ready whenever you're ready, but I'm not going to ever bring it up again because Shelly is the key to this whole thing. Everything I've ever been a part of, she's the key to it. And so that's just how it's going to work. We came to Hillsong about eight weeks later. So it's your fault. And I'm going to tell you a true story. All the other stories I've told are not true. <laughs> I never oh, played tennis. Man. And we were not at the French Open. Yeah. And they're wow. not married. But we're getting married this weekend, and we're all welcome to come. It's going to be all good. Yeah, it's going to be great. We, we were in a morning session, and uh, T.D. Jakes was preaching. And, and uh, we, they used to make us sit on the front row. Uh, let us. Let us sit on the front row. And so T.D. Jakes is literally right there. And at the end of his message cast, I think you've heard me tell this story, but whew, he said, I just feel led by the Spirit of God right now to pray for the pastor's wives who are here. And I know it's a big arena, and it's a, I think it was a morning session. It was a morning session right before the lunch break. And he said, and I know it's a big arena, but I'm going to invite any pastor's wife who feels like you need a touch from the Lord to come forward for prayer. And Shelley stepped forward, and I just broke. And we, as we had talked, uh, we had sort of distilled why we couldn't do all this down to a few key things. And they were all legit. Yeah. And he said, as he prayed, Lord, I want to pray number one thing, check. Number two thing, check. Number three thing, check. He touched every single thing we had talked about said amen. Shelly was right, right there because I was already on the front row. And we just fell into each other's arms. And we walked up to the guest lounge, went way to the back corner past the bathrooms, the toilets, and sat in the corner. And I want to say for 15 minutes, we didn't talk. We just were like, and when we did talk, we're playing the church when we get home. I, I might cry talking about that, but it was special because, you know, I think we have, we have legitimate thoughts about why we should do what we do, and we have legitimate concerns, and God listens to those concerns, but he also has a beautiful plan, and he is overriding our concerns with his plan, and so today, when, when you have the list running in your mind all the time of the reasons that he couldn't possibly do what he's promised he's going to do. Uh, like Bill said today, he is able. And he will overcome your greatest fears, your greatest concerns, your legitimate questions. He's not afraid of that stuff. He's actually working through that in our lives. And I think for us, that, that desperate moment of knowing that God was going to be the one who would tell us gives us faith today to believe that he's put us in this place. Planning a church is not easy work. And a lot of you people in the room are pastors of churches, and it's a difficult calling. But when you know that God has placed you there, and there is absolutely no doubt that it was him who was at work calling you to that position or to that place, then you understand that you have to stand strong while he works.
And today isn't easy because of that choice 10 years ago or 11 years ago now. But man, I know that I know that I know that I know that it was God. And there really isn't anything else that I need to know. So. So what have been the greatest joys or surprises in becoming the pastor's wife? Well, um, <clears throat> interestingly enough for me, I, I think my, one of my greatest fears was that I would be stuck leading women's ministry. And uh, my greatest joy is leading women's ministry. So how fun is God? And you're I women's... never imagined that I would sit in, I, I was always, I hung out with guys my whole life. I was in boardrooms with men. We, I was running a business and so I was in environments with guys a lot and I just enjoyed it. And I'm sort of a, I'm pretty relaxed hang, so I'm pretty much like, let's go, this is fun. And women can be a little high strung. I don't know if you knew that about women. <laughs> little chatty, little, well, I don't know, gripey. How you feeling, Rich? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for asking. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just never imagined that I would find my life in a group of women, but God has been so faithful that he's put me in a position where I get to influence and lead with women every day. And it is one of the greatest joys of my whole life. Seeing women find their place in the church is my greatest joy. And so who knew? that God wouldn't just put us in a position where we would say, okay, and he would answer the call and say, yes, we'll obey you, God, but that he would actually give us back what I think had been stolen from me in my own head. Nobody told me women's ministry was bad. I just assumed that's where I would never be. But that assumption was leading my life. It was keeping me from the promise of God. And so the fact that God wouldn't just position us, but then he would give us back something that was promised that we don't deserve, but that he knows he can favor us with is just the most beautiful thing. So I wake up every day, I lead a lot of different kinds of things, but one of them is women's ministry and I love it with all of my heart. And I just think that's something God would do. So love it, I love it. So I watch your women's ministry from a distance because it is so creative and so clever. You gather hundreds if not thousands of women for big events. And then last week on my doorstep arrived a manual for mentoring. And it, like, to be honest, I hate you. I hate you and I hate <laughs> Louis because every time you send anything, in it's kind of in way. the most loving kind of Christian way with no competition or jealousy. But you send, you, everything that you both create is creative and beautiful and articulate and clever and clear and then so simple that the truth of God resonates through everything that you put your hand to. How? Maybe you should answer this one. Um, I think on the flourish stuff in particular. <laughs> Did y'all see that? That was smooth, right? We turned your mic off. <laughs> oh, Best line of the year. Thank you so much. I will repeat that. That's so good. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, he said you had a good run, Louie. <laughs> Shelly is, um, you know, just really fast, and I'm not trying to be the uh, adoring husband because I'm not uh, good at that every single day. And then when you do it in front of people, it just really annoys people, your wife's particularly. <laughs> but Shelly um, is one of the most accomplished, smartest. She's on the Board of Regents for a major university where she attended. That's a big, big deal. She uh, has managed Grammy winners and built things out of nothing and led a business. Um, she, she's just an extraordinarily gifted person. But like a lot of people, you know, she feels better behind the scenes cast than in front of the scenes, you know. And so she's always said, you know, my role is letting everybody else shine in the stewardship that God's given them. And I function best back here and happily so, letting everybody else be up there. But what happens in life, if you just watch the equation, is that most of the people 
who are back here helping those people shine up there end up getting more gold in their bags than they realize because they're actually following Jesus because they love Jesus, not because they get clapped for and amen and their picture on posters and they get paid when things are over. They're just back here supporting, loving, believing, serving, plowing, and it, it's a stunning thing to watch. So these people then get something called Instagram and then they realize I can say something like my wife. If you don't follow her on Instagram, you should follow her. You can unfollow me if you got a limit of who you follow. Just unfollow me because I had a good run and follow her. And, and so she'll write something and people are like, wow, you're, you're changing my life. We met someone the other day. We walked into a place and a guy walks up to Shelly and says, what you write on Instagram is one of the most powerful tools of God in my life. This person, big influence. And Shelly's like, can you believe that? And I'm like, oh yeah, I can believe it. And so all that's leading to a new season. Shelly's writing a book right now. I cannot wait until that book is released. Um, about thank what? Thank you so much. Hold on, what are you writing about? <clears throat> The title of the book is Pretty Is As Pretty Does. And it's a saying my grandmother said years and years ago to me, and it was a call to be more than what people encounter. And I think what, if we have a crisis in our world, I feel like it's a crisis of character. Yeah. And Instagram certainly contributes to that, but lots of things contribute to that. And I think we believe uh, sometimes what we look at in the mirror and I think what God is judging is the faithfulness of our heart. And so if I can help invest in people to the degree that they understand that what's on the inside is far more important than what people see on the outside, then it would be a joy to get to do that. So that's kind of what I'm leaning toward. Yep. Isn't that great? And so that's coming out next year sometime. And um, I'm excited and thrilled about it. And with that, Shelly, with The Grove, now she's leading. She's on the platform. She's getting a new gear, a new stewardship, and a new season, and all of us have seen it coming. Everyone around us, all our team, everyone on team at church, everybody sees it coming. And, but Shelly's always had this major phrase. People say, babe, you should, they don't, I say, babe, they should, Shelly, you should speak more. Maybe Rafael Nadal said, babe, but most guys just say, Shelly, you should speak more. This is ridiculous. And um, I'm over it. No, he's not. I come out of the restroom. She's like, you just missed Rafael Nadal. He just went by and he kissed me on the way. And I was like, golly, I had to pee for like an hour and I could wait five more minutes. So she has, we have a saying in our house when people say, Shelly, you should speak. Shelly always retorts with, we have a rule at our house, which she really has the rule. We don't have the rule. But she says one speaker per household. It's a pretty good rule, honestly. And now Shelly is becoming a speaker, yeah. and the writing, handwriting is on the wall. Quit. You had a good run, babe. Good run. It's a good run. So good being with you guys. Thanks I'm for having so me sure. at Hillsong Conference. It's been, it's a, good been a good run. I thank the Lord for it. And I'll, this is crazy. I will be. Uh, is there anything I can get you? Yeah. Are you good? Have a seat. More coffee, more tea. It feels like whenever there's a joke, you might say there's an element of truth in every joke. Has there ever, ever been competition? Have you ever felt like for real, like, like there should only be one person on their platform because we can't do it if there's two or, or the other way. Like you should run everything because I can't do that. Yeah, I think there, uh, both of us are very A-driven type personalities. And so we want to succeed, which is great and hard. Yeah. I think, and I'm not being humble and trying to just say this because I really believe this with all of my heart, but I believe that God designed roles in marriage to be clear. And I knew when I signed up to marry Louie that I would have a supporting role to Louie's life, and I wanted to have that. And as much as God has favored the things that are in my hands over the years, and he has grown and multiplied and given me a stewardship that's larger than I think I could probably manage, 
I've known the whole time that what I signed up for was to help support Louis's life. And the thing that I'm most committed to is being faithful to that to the end. So I don't get enamored by the things that are in my hand because I know what's in my heart and the commitment I've made is more important to me than all of those. And so I, as, I thank you, that's kind, but I, I think we can easily get confused by what's handed to us. And what's handed to us is not what's important. Our heart and our decisions and our commitments are what count. And so for me, I want to stay pure-hearted in that commitment. And as much as God hands me, I will do my best to multiply. But it is not about what's in my hands. And I think when it is, it's a, it's a tricky thing to manage, and it does become a competition of who can do it better or who can do it best or who can hold more or be more accomplished. And I just don't want that to mislead us. Yeah, that's so cool. And you know, it's interesting even the way Shelly said that, that God's favored the things in her hands, which he has. But I'm one of those things in her hands. And so a lot of the favor, you know, that that's on my life, and I don't understand all about calling and all that necessarily, but it, it, it's no joke when I say that I wouldn't have done any of the things that we've done, any of them, apart from Shelley. And um, I don't think we've been in an environment where there has been any competition because we're both competing for the same thing. So we're not competing. I'm not competing for what she has. She's not competing for what I have. We're competing for this calling that God has put on our lives. And we, we stood there when we got married uh, and said to each other, literally standing up on the stage, um, we just want Jesus to be glorified. Yeah. You know, we were just kids, or she was. Um, I was a little older. <laughs> I was 40. She was 18. No, that's not true. <laughs> not true. He said earlier he was going to tell you the truth. This one is not true. <laughs> you were 18. Well, I was 18 when we met, but yeah. not when we married. Yeah. Anyway, that's small details. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the point is we're contending for the same thing. Yeah. That's true. So is it easy to work together all the time? It is for us. It's awkward. Brad and Britt are sitting right here. She's probably going to say the opposite. They're, these are our best friends and partners in life, and we are building together what we build. And Brad will tell you because he's in most of the... Uh, upper-level meetings that we have in our organization that we just go at it over an idea, you know? I don't know if Brian and Bobby probably don't do that, but something will happen, and Shelly has an opinion. I mean, like, straight up, you know, like, blah, 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 blah. And then I have an opinion, da 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 And then she has one, and I have one. And then we're back and forth, and everyone in the room's like... <laughs> and they're uncomfortable, but I don't think we're ever that uncomfortable because, you know, it's like she has great ideas. I have okay ideas. <clears throat> oh my goodness. And I try to stack four or five okay ideas up to get to a great idea. And for us, it's just been the way we've done life. It's like we don't see everything exactly the same, but that's been the beauty of our whole relationship. Our marriage is that we're com we are completely different people on every level. And um, other than our love for Jesus and our desire to see a generation awaken to his glory, yeah. we're completely different in how we do everything else in life and, um, and how, you know, we lead. And we're both pretty confident people. She's extremely confident. And so, no, I don't think it makes us uncomfortable, but it, Brad will tell you, it definitely makes uh, <laughs> our, him into our it. team. Has that ever happened with Brian and Bobby that they disagree in a meeting and everybody else says it? Or what about do, the two of you? Or would they never disagree in a meeting? They're actually unbelievable. As in, I think she backs whatever he says. Uh, like, I am actually shocked at how they do it. I put it down to them being a different generation to us. So one of the biggest disappointments that you've ever had in life. Are you prepared to share about it? <clears throat> I would think 
one of the greatest disappointments that we've had together is not having children. And we get a lot of questions about that from people. And there was a season of our life that we definitely assumed we would have kids. I think most people who are married assume that will be a part of their life, but it wasn't a part of our life. And so at that point in life, you're at a decision point. And the decision is, is God God or is he out of control right now? And the decision is, what will I do with the disappointment? And, you know, for me, there was, a, there was a stretch of time where I hoped that the outcome would be different. But once I realized that it wasn't going to be different, I had a choice. And I'd watched a lot of my friends go through infertility and challenges having children. And a lot of them were very bitter people. And... They sort of thought if God wouldn't give me that desire of my heart, then he wasn't worth worshiping. And I had a choice, I think, we both did at that point to lean our lives towards something more. And while I didn't understand fully the disappointment, didn't understand why our life would turn out that way, I trusted a God that was bigger than the circumstance. And so can you, so can you, because he's big enough to turn what we thought would be devastating into beauty. And I can honestly say, while we don't have natural children, we have a lot of children and only God could do that. Only he could take something that is so heartbreaking and turn it into something so beautiful. So I love that. I love it. I love God because he takes things that seem devastating and he turns them into things that are unbelievably powerful. And that's the way he proves that he's God. And he shows it in our life every day. And when we recognize it, we get to give him glory for it. And why we are here, why you are here is to give him glory for it. And so if you're not speaking up for the ways of God in your life, then he's missing out on your glory. So embrace his ways being higher, his understanding being more, and his freedom in your life being beautiful. And I promise you, he will fulfill every desire of your heart. And he's done it for us over and over and over again. We talked to Pastor Bill in the last session and he was talking about something and he said, "Um, in disappointment, I've cried tears and the tears that I've cried have actually been the most precious gift to God because when we get to heaven, we will never have tears. So he said, I've actually taken all my disappointment and I've cried tears and they've become worship to God. And I feel like your story and the tears in your story are actually the greatest gift of worship. That's actually remarkable that that's one of the ways you've chosen to worship God. And I want to thank you for sharing because I wasn't expecting that answer because I would never ask that question. And I think it's remarkable that God gives a 61-year-old old guy and his young wife. (laughs) (laughs) Pay you later. Stadiums and stadiums and stadiums of young people to pastor. And you are ageless, like you actually don't become irrelevant and the old grandparents in the church, like I feel like you're as young today as what you ever are and you are more relevant today than you've ever been and your influence over the generations becomes stronger and stronger and I don't know how you do it, I don't know how you go from being a youth pastor to being like, you're my dad's age, right? (laughs) And... (laughs) Wow. My son okay. yesterday morning texts me during the session and goes, whenever he speaks, I listen. And he's 14. And somehow God has given you an ability, regardless of having natural children, to speak the wisdom into generations. And so I want to thank you. Can I ask a selfish question? Okay. Yesterday when you speak, like... I think there are greats in communication. You would be my most favourite and I would 
everybody would know. Brian told me it's offensive to him, but <laughs> you are my <laughs> most favourite. When you speak, I feel like I can hear a pin drop in the room. I feel like it is always profound. It's always Jesus-centric. You always make me go away in love with Jesus more than I have ever loved him. How, where do the ideas come from? How do you prepare? How does that happen? Like, teach us, Master Yoda. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's the toughest question because it, I, 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 know, I know this sounds uh, like a cop-out, but I, I don't know. Like the, the talk yesterday, it's a message that I've carried for maybe a year and a half now. And that text really happened in a season that I would have never imagined creating a message around it and giving it at Hillsong Conference yesterday morning. That was real life and a real day when we were really disappointed in some things and really frustrated and that was a game changer. Those nine words, you know, how something simple like that, it, it was a game changer for me. How it turned into the message yesterday, I really have no idea. I mean, I, I don't have a process. I don't go into a, a zone. I don't study on Thursday mornings from 9 to 4. 11, I don't have a grid, I, I don't know, I just, the way I say I get messages, Cass, is that there's a germination of a, an idea. It's like a, a woman becoming pregnant, and all of a sudden she realizes I'm pregnant, and I know I'm going to have a baby, and she doesn't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl, but she knows she's going to have a baby at some point in the future, and I'll get an idea like that, and it'll be clear, I'm going to preach a message on X. And I will know it. I don't know when, three months, six months, two years. It's, I'm, I'm pregnant now with an idea. And as I get bigger and that idea gets bigger, it collects things. It collects texts. It collects ideas. It collects pictures. It collects phrases. And eventually, when I get ready to write the message, I, I typically will sit down and in less than two hours or an hour, I'll just write out the talk. Because when, uh, and I don't know anything about labor and delivery, but you know, a lot of times it takes all day, but there's a moment where kind of like now we're gonna have the baby and we have the baby. And so I do when I'm studying for series over, if we're doing a whole thing on the book of James, I'll be in James up all, all day and night for weeks and weeks and study and study and study. But a lot of the messages, I carry them for a long time. I think about them every day. I, think, I thought about messages all day today. While everybody else, I don't know what everybody else was thinking about, I was thinking about messages most of the day today because that's what's in my mind and in my heart. And then at some point, I'll open up this journal right here and I'll get a pencil and uh, I'll start, you know, kind of working through something. Would you uh, please hold those pages up yeah, and show? Yeah, and it'll end up looking <laughs> like that right there. And I don't know what that is. Let me see what that is. That uh, is our old... Okay, that's not a good example. That was an uh, all-team meeting... Um, I mean, let me find yesterday. I'll just find, I'll show you what I'm going to preach on Friday. Ooh, sneak uh, And I'm not even sure yet, but I might preach on this on Friday. And uh, that's my first draft. And uh, that's not anywhere close to where I'll end up tomorrow. But what I preached yesterday is uh, on, well, it ended up being on that page. That was my last draft on this page of the Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but I just thought maybe some of you might want to see uh, Louis's notes that he's talking about. So we've got some photographs in the show notes. So if you jump down there now, you can check them out. And now we'll jump back into the interview. And all that just as a process of shaping. And to me, it's kind of like this. And um, I, I was talking to Bill Johnson, which blew my mind. And I said to him the other day, I said, so what are you going to preach on tonight? It was about four o'clock. He goes, I don't know. And that, that would scare a normal person, yeah. you know, like a normal person would be like, I don't feel good. And I was like, 
I said, do you think you'll know, are, are you thinking about a couple of things and you're waiting on the Lord to let you know which one? Or are you just still like wide open? He goes, I don't know. He goes, I, I hope I know before we start. He said to me, if I don't know, I'm going to get up, I'm going to sing a chorus, and by the next run through, God should give me something. If not, I'll do another chorus. Yeah. Yes, he normally comes through two choruses in. And you know, and there's a, there are different kinds of communicators, and there, there's that kind of communicator, and then there's the, I study from 11 to 3, and, and write a phenomenal message, by the way, in a manuscript form, put the manuscript on the deal, give the talk, God changes the world. I have friends that do that, and they are way better communicators yeah. than I'll ever dream of being. I, and if I try, and sometimes I, I should do that. And when I get up there to try to do that, it's terrible. Every time it's horrible. Right. And uh, for me, it's more like I, ha I know I'm going to paint today, and I'm going to paint a boat on the Mediterranean. And I've got my palette of all my colors. Now, I'm not convinced whether I'm going to paint the shore first or the sky first. I might paint the sea and then put the boat on it. I might paint the boat and then put the sea around it. I know I'm painting a boat. And you know, when Michelangelo did the Sistine Chapel, he took a pencil and drew everything he painted. So when he was painting all of this, he already had penciled it on there. You just couldn't see it. And I think that's more the way I communicate and probably the way more Bill communicates. He, he, he probably knew, I'm guessing, generally speaking, what he was going to communicate today. And it's his life message. And it's like you and I telling people where we live. You know, you don't have to go, oh, I don't know, give me time. I need to get organized, you know. I mean, you know where you live. Yeah. And that's where he lives. And so he knows how yeah. to tell you where he lives. Joseph Prince doesn't go, I need to look up some verses on grace. What, what would be a good passage on grace? And that's where he lives. So he knows how to tell you where he lives. And um, so I paint, I, I try to paint because I learned a long time ago from a really great communicator that people remember stories and pictures. Um, and they don't remember points. Yeah, he had six points. They were amazing. Let me give them to you. And they don't remember titles. Uh, they remember pictures. No one will forget that table. They may not remember much else about the talk, right. but they will never forget that table. I will never forget that table, and you will never forget that table. <laughs> if you had one life message, what would it be? Yeah, my life message, if you boil it all down, I think is what Shelley was talking about. And it's modified a little bit over the years. I think uh, I've had five revelations in my lifetime, uh, actually four probably. Salvation obviously was one, worship as a way of life, grace as a lifestyle, not uh, that's Jesus giving you life every day, not Jesus getting you to heaven and the glory of God. But my message probably is knowing God. I think that's my life message. I wanna know God. I was created to know God. And I want to know God. Yeah. And I believe that God wants me to help people know him. Yeah. yeah. When I first met Louis, um, I, he mentioned that I was 18. I, was a, I had just finished a fr my freshman year in college. And he came to be the summer college intern at my church. And there were a lot of interns, all of which were told not to date any of the people in the church. But we worked it out. But, you know, I sh there was a group of friends and I that were discovering who we were in Christ in that season of our life and what, what it meant to live under extravagant grace. And I can remember showing up on his doorstep uh, with some of those friends when he first arrived in Houston, where I was living at the time, to try to convince him that we didn't want to have just a fun summer, but that we actually wanted to know God. And I remember us saying to him, do you, do you know anything about exchange life? Do you know anything about what it means for Christ to live his life through us? And he was like, uh, yeah. I was like, good, because that's where we want to go. And so I think you know, knowing God is its not exclusive to a few people. It's an invitation to all of us. And God isn't 
mysterious to the degree that he doesn't want us to know and understand him. He actually wants to be known. And we have the privilege of pursuing that every single day of our life. And I don't want the invitation to sit on the table and be unresponded to. Not when he is the one issuing the invitation. And so the fact that we get a chance to wake up every day and to push into that invitation is just absolutely stunning to me. And I want to live all my days making sure that that's what I'm taking him up on. And all the rest of the stuff that gets rolled into that is beautiful bonus. But nothing will eclipse the possibility of us knowing God. Nothing. Yeah, I think that's worth a clap. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Hey, would you thank Louis and Shelley for being with us on that note? Well, what a profound and uh, poignant, really, place to leave it. I think that we can all take on board what Shelley was saying there about receiving the invitation of God to know Him. I mean, that's amazing. And then everything else, you know, everything else like the Scripture says will be added, I guess, after that. So this week, why don't we um, take that on board and why don't we contemplate our own lives and how we can receive the invitation of God and uh, apply that to ourselves. I'm going to do that and I pray that you do that as well. Coming up over the next few weeks, we've got a bunch of entrepreneurs that have come in and we've been able to interview them about what they're doing kind of outside the four walls of the church. Hugely creative people, they've stepped out, they're, as I said, they're entrepreneurs. They're using their creativity to do things that I couldn't even imagine doing, but I think you're going to find them exciting. So look out for that in the coming weeks. Please subscribe if you haven't already so that you don't miss those things and so that you can be a part of the journey with us. 